Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? On this 30th episode of Generation Excellence, I sat down with Ron Chapman II of Chapman Law Group. Ron is an attorney and is in a transition process to become CEO of a law firm his father founded nearly 40 years ago and in which he is still active. Chapman Law is a nationally regarded firm specializing in many aspects of healthcare law. Ron himself is an in-demand author and speaker, you'll hear why, in the areas of healthcare fraud, opioid prescribing, and government investigations. As a former prosecutor and veteran of the Marine Corps, Ron brings a point of view on discipline and leadership that I found incredibly inspiring and motivating. Please enjoy listening to and then talking about this episode of Generation Excellence. Good afternoon, Ron Chapman. Welcome to Generation Excellence podcast. Again, I, I thank you for doing this. Good afternoon. How are you, Jamie? And I am doing well. You're you wonderful. Looking good. Uh, yeah, we've 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 met over the years, gotten to know each other a little bit as our agency doing a little bit of work for you, but you know, really kind of knowing the whole business and and story of the history of of your firm and you know where it's been where it is now where it's going is this is a great opportunity to capture that and share share with some others <laughs> uh and you know as a, as a firm that is i think the milestone is this is the 36th year 30, 37 30, i think 37th yeah uh, so a next milestone coming but you know, Chapman Law Group as healthcare attorneys in a broad range of that you know representing uh, you know experts in in that field uh, for compliance and uh, licensing and medical malpractice and all those different things you do. I mean, that's that's what you all do is expertise of the firm. But how you know your father founded a firm. Attorney, also you're working with him, and with with his kind of unique background of being in public service and then being in um, you know in 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 law. What led him into this this focused area of healthcare law? So, so my father's uh, path to um, to being the firm that we are today is 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 just as winding as as mine is. And we, um, we definitely got to cover your winding path too. Yeah. Um, but, but I think, um, I think in some sense that everything that he did prior to starting his own firm and then eventually converting the firm into a, um, a healthcare law firm that handles a variety of things, everything he did previously really helped him get him uh, where he is today. A, a lot of mm-hmm. building blocks there. Um, he, uh, he's originally from Dearborn, um, the son of a, a factory worker um, who's who's still with us today, uh, thank right. the Lord. Um, and uh, uh, he was really brought up to to understand the value of hard work. And I know a lot of people say that, but um, you know, watching your dad come home from you know maybe the midnight shift at the factory working in those plants that are 100 sure. degrees uh, really teaches you uh, you know that you need some hard work. 
And, um, and he was raised that way. Uh, the rest of his, his family was his brother uh, went into the factory. And I think ever since he was young, he was kind of breaking the mold. Um, he, uh, he, he, he didn't, didn't really want to go into the, the factory life. And, and I think he had um, sort of his eyes towards the sky, looking for something different, looking for something a little bit more motivating. And then one day he, he came home and, um, you know, said, dad, I'm going to go into the air force. And, literally, uh, literally eyes to the sky. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and he, he ended up shipping out going to, to California. And I think one of the most interesting parts of my dad's story, and this is what, um, gave me a very healthy respect of enlisted people in the military. My dad was enlisted when I went in, I was an officer and we can talk about right. that later. Uh, but there's a huge difference between enlisted and officers and, and the enlisted are, are sort of a father figure to the, the junior enlisted below them. And he wanted to be an MP. I think he, he liked law enforcement, wanted to be a cop. Uh, he tested for that and they said, no, you're too smart. We're gonna give you another job. I said, what is this? Uh, and, and they said, you know, computers. You can either work on computers or we can let you go from the Air Force, which is, you know, so strange. They just, they, they felt that he, from an aptitude standpoint, needed to go into that environment. Now, mind you, this is back in, I'm thinking late 70s. He graduated high school in 75. So we're probably talking 76, 77. We're talking, we talk computers. We're talking a whole different world. Yeah. Yeah. Computers there were servers that ran these programs and you put the cards in and they're an entire room and computer time to get access on a computer was a, a pretty competitive thing. Um, so what you did when you were in computers is you run these programs for people that send them to you. And um, you kind of get to do what you want while the program is running. And that's most of your day. You set up the computer and it runs and, okay. and, and, and you, you make sure it runs. And so his, I can't remember what rank this person was, um, but, but he basically said, um, whoever wants to go out and get an education, we, we have more guys than we need. Whoever wants to go out and get an education, you just go out and get really good grades. And uh, you don't really need to do much here at the computer shop. And I'll let you go do that. Um, and, and my dad said, Hey, I'll take that. And he went to, I can't remember what school I wish I had a better, better memory on this, but he, um, he, he went and got his bachelor's. And then I think he uh, ultimately finished his master's possibly in public administration, um, and actually got out of the, the air force, uh, you know, well-educated guy ready to do other things, came back home and you know, um, had, had these degrees behind him and looked for a job and ultimately found a job with um, uh, Bill Lucas. And, and the story that he tells about this job was fantastic. I think he, he flipped open. I think his, his dad was like, hey, schoolboy, now that you're home, you need to go find, find a job, right? And he flipped open the newspaper. And Bill Lucas and is uh, Wayne County, Detroit, Michigan? Yep, that's right. right. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the former Wayne County executive. And so that's a pretty high up position in, yep. in Wayne County. Uh, I think controls the airport as well and, and a bunch of other things. Um, and, and he later became the chief of staff for him. So as this young, maybe late 20s, early 30-something mm -hmm. guy, he was in contentious union meetings and really seeing the big picture from, from, from early on. Um, and during that time, he went to law school. So he was Got it. kind of famous for completing these degrees while having a full-time While job. doing something else. And, yeah. and at that point, a family as well. I was born... Uh, right around those days, and um, uh, you know, he was a he was a new father and tackling all of these things. Well, Bill Lucas didn't win re-election, uh, right? And uh, he had to go out, and, and he decided to start his own firm, and that was the start of Chapman Chapman Law Group. I think he worked for somebody 
a little bit, but um, but ultimately started the firm. And we we were one uh, shared office in the Penobscot building in probably 1985. Okay. And now we have locations in three states with, I believe, 17 attorneys and maybe 42 employees overall. And um, fantastic. Yeah, it's just a it's a it's a great growth story built on a lot of hard work by him and, and an amazing foundation. So you know your 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 father has that that watching his father and that work and that dis, that decision of there's a lot of family in this, but I'm going to go pursue some different things. So for yourself, as you're going through school and now there's this you know your your father's got this unique background and the law practice, were you? smitten were you i'm going to be a lawyer go to law school do that whole thing the whole time i'm going to do something totally different what was what was sort of your your vision your fantastic question um because i am like my father in many many ways including this um the last thing i wanted to do was the family business as i was mm-hmm. growing up um mm-hmm. i uh, played hockey from a young age and had some aptitude there and uh, really only thought of myself as a hockey player and school <laughs> was you know a reason to to get an education um, because that's what you're supposed to do. But if you'd asked me up until the time that I was probably 17 years old, what I was going to do when I grew up, I was going to be a professional hockey player. Of course, for most of us, that doesn't pan out. And luckily I realized that earlier than, than some and uh, was able to focus on the next goal. And, and this is so where I my... have to interrupt you for one second, because yes. the most incredible thing is the last yeah. episode of this podcast I recorded is a gentleman who fourth generation in the family business called Highland Insurance Company. He actually was a professional hockey player. Oh, that's great. He made yeah. it into the NHL, and, and but now in family business. So c- keep going on your, your journey because it's no, funny it's, how things intersect. It is, isn't it? Um, so, you know, I was always um, the, the B plan. And I don't want to say it's a B plan <laughs> because it was another, another dream of mine. I think if hockey fizzled out, I always knew that I was going to do this. Um, a big part of my life was my grandfather on my mother's side. Um, he was a World War II vet. He was in the Marine okay. Corps. And while I didn't really get many stories about uh, him when he was in the Marine Corps, I was in awe of, um, of, of, you know, people gathering together in the military to accomplish an amazing feat, taking down this sort of mm-hmm. tyranny that was happening across the country. Um, and on September 11th, um, 2001, uh, I was a freshman in college sitting in my dorm room um, okay. with, uh, a buddy and the, and the phone rang. And, and this was when I had realized my, my hockey career wasn't going to go anywhere, resigned myself to going to get an education. And, uh, you know, that, that became the mission. Um, I was always drawn to the military. I always sort of knew that I was going to go in. My stepfather was, uh, in Marine force reconnaissance during the Reagan administration. And so he had tales of being in Nicaragua and Panama and Beirut, um, and, and I always thought it was fascinating traveling the globe and handling some of the world's biggest problems. And so I found myself in a recruiter's office the day, um, the day after September 11th, September 12th, which ironically is my son's birthday. Hmm. Um, and, and again, another um, enlisted person sort of saves the day for the Chapman family. Um, I went in to go to the Air Force. I went into the Air Force recruiter. Um, I didn't really like what I was hearing there. So I walked across the hall to the Marine recruiter <laughs> and, and, and because my dad was in the air force, um, you know, my grandfather and my stepfather were in the Marine Corps. And so I wasn't really sure which, but I wanted to check them both out. And the Marine recruiter looks me in the eye and he says, listen, I'm going to get, and he said it just like this. 
I'm going to get plenty of fresh bodies walking through that door that don't have a college education and don't have too much aptitude. Um, you don't belong in the enlisted service, son. You better go down the hall to the officer recruiting office and become an officer and finish up mm. your education. I think he was sort of telling me maybe something that he wished he'd done and, and really mm. wanted to give me that, um, that advice. And immediately when I heard that, I remembered the advice that that enlisted person gave my dad many, many years ago, and I figured I'd better follow it. So um, I worked up a package to become an officer in the Marine Corps. And then uh, within about two years, because it takes that long to get in as an officer, I found myself in Quantico, Virginia, in some of the hardest training that a person could ever go through. Um, and then eventually passing um, from a class of 64 in my entering class, we graduated with about 34. So the, the, wow, uh, the attrition rate was, was, was pretty high there. Um, and I earned a commission finished up college and, and went in and, and I was actually headed to be an infantry officer. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but somewhere along the way I ran into, and we all have that, that professor that changes our mindset, mm -hmm. um, a professor named, named Rigstad, who's still at Oakland University. And he um, taught a course called philosophy of law. And that was the first time I'd ever really been, other than doing some odd jobs in the law firm, ever really been involved in the subject matter of law. And I realized that uh, you know, there's constitutional law and amazing legal theories and the right. structures for, you know, how we run the country um, are established in the law. And I became fascinated. And so I went back to my officer recruiting office and I said, hey, are there any any ways that I could pursue law in the military? And he told me about a, a job um, called the judge advocate um, position that allows me to be with the infantry Marines doing the things that they do, but also advise on legal topics. Mm -hmm. Uh, a few years later, I found myself in Afghanistan in the middle of a combat environment, advising a battalion commander on legal issues about how we treat detainees, how we interrogate people, when we can shoot, when we can't shoot, and then training a whole bunch of young Marines on how to employ force in this uncertain environment that is sure. Afghanistan. It's not World War II. You don't just fire at the people wearing the different hats. It's a much different place. And so that created a very, very interesting environment. When I came out, um, I'd done some prosecuting work in the Marine Corps as well. And the funny thing about being a prosecutor is that if you're a really good prosecutor, the way the law is in the United States, you could put just about anybody away. That's, that's really mm -hmm. how it is. And, and so I thought the greater challenge is in defense work. And so Got I it. didn't want to do with the government anymore. And so I approached my dad. I said, it's either U.S. Attorney's Office or you know, I come work for you, but I'd really like to be able to explore some, some criminal defense here. And then we charted out a course for creating what is our white collar defense practice now, defending health professionals uh, against the government in uh, healthcare fraud and, and opiate cases. Was the firm serving healthcare professionals in other areas at that time? Did it already yeah. have that? Okay. Yep, absolutely. So um, I think the foundation of our firm was uh, medical malpractice defense. Okay. Um, uh, senior was able to get a client very early on, I believe, 1991, and he still services that same client today. And That's that great. is the insurance company that handles um, uh, the, the, the physician coverage for inmates in many state uh, facilities. Gotcha. And so they get sued a lot by the prisoners, and, and he's defended those lawsuits since uh, 1991. I think he's, he's absolutely the best person in the country for doing it and has an amazing reputation. That was 90% um, of the firm's work um, until I think about 2000 and 
2009, I believe. Um, and, uh, and then we decided to diversify. Well, he did, and then I came aboard later into other areas because at that time, insurance work wasn't really the most profitable and there's a lot more out there for talented attorneys to explore in the healthcare sector. Got it. Yeah. And Matt, a sector that's such an important part of GDP and the scale and size of it. Sure. So the, the you know, you've, you've now made that, had that conversation with your father, you, you join this firm um, and you're and the firm's growing, which means adding new attorneys, adding new practice areas, correct? The military background that the two of you have, the unique background that the two of you have, how, how defining is that? Or how would you define then the culture of Chapman Law Group as a law firm? Because you know, different law firms have different character to them and approach. How, how influential is that or isn't that on, on how you all approach things? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great question. And, and I think that um, you know, for, for my team, for the white collar team, and I'm, I'm just talking about those folks for for which I have sort of operational control in the day. For those listening, Ron is actually wearing a white shirt with a white collar, but, but <laughs> I'll let you continue. Yeah. Um, uh, for, for that team, I think I do handle it with a little bit more of a, a military vibe. I learned a lot of lessons about how to organize things and how to deal with mm -hmm. people um, and how to make sure that you accomplish the task or the mission from the military. Um, and and to, to some extent, that was ingrained into me maybe a little bit more heavily than it was my father. Our, our military experiences were completely different. Very different, sure. Yeah, my, my, his was sort of during war, wartime at the tail end of Vietnam, but it really fizzled out at that time. And it was a peacetime military. Uh, and it was in the Air Force where there isn't such rigid adherence to, um, to rules and regulations and more uh, appreciation for individual abilities, right? Uh, mm -hmm. In the green machine that is the Marine Corps, they're sort of trying to create, you know, uh, a, a, a force that is, is somewhat unified and it doesn't require all of the skills that the Air Force has. Um, so it's very different. And I think you could probably see that in our leadership styles. Um, it's mm -hmm. not, you know, one is more autocratic and the other one is not. It's just in, in terms of, um, of uh, processes moving forward, I think we may, we may approach that slightly differently. Um, and, and I also think it's been many years since he's been in the military. So molding and adapting and leading this law firm um, after his military experience isn't really driven as much from that military experience as the experience of the law all firm. of the other all things those, that he's all the, yep. Yeah, yeah. And so, so you know, that complements uh, me heavily, right? I come out of the Marine Corps um, pretty ingrained into the processes there. He knows another way of doing things. And of course, there's you know obviously going to be friction when there's competing ideas, um, but but there's a lot that I've been able to learn from him um, about the practice of law, about running a law firm, and about managing people, uh, simply because of the experience that uh, that he's had from from doing it from the ground up. I mean, when he looks at a problem, he doesn't just look at it as this is the problem today. He looks at it as with the history of the last thirty some years of of growing a business and and. and and because of that, I think maybe his, his approach, um, while conservative, is rightly so, because he's seen the good times and the bad times of this law firm. Sure, right. And, There's cycles and ups and downs. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, I got to go there a little bit. So you talked about um, you know, some friction. So two strong personalities, and not just you, but other attorneys at the firm too, right? I mean, yeah. and intelligent, educated, experienced people and, and, and impassioned 
so the, but for for you all is 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 you know it's a it's a it's called the Chapman Law Group. It's it's a firm, but there are family members, generations working together. When there is that friction, or talk about an, an example of when there's been that friction, how you all have worked through some things. Yeah, um, I'm going to try to think of an example while I talk, but um, I think that we need to invite friction in that environment. I think you know I have okay. a unique skill set. And, uh, and he has a unique skill set, and there's not always one way to do it. Um, and I think that there needs to be a healthy amount of friction so that we can develop effective solutions with everybody's input in mind. Um, and, and I will say that, that over the last five years of this firm, we've developed our management staff significantly. Uh, we have uh, Kristen, who you've dealt with, who's yep. in operations. Nicole's in finance. Ron Sr.'s the president. And, and me, you know, the the incoming CEO sort of in transition. Um, and so we, we have now four people who are really well-respected on our leadership team, uh, mm -hmm. where originally it was Ron Sr. at the top. And I think we've all learned to be able to share our ideas more effectively, have some competition and friction amongst ideas, and then chart a course forward with the firm, ultimately with him with the final say-so, but while providing him the input and some of the ideas necessary to help make an effective decision. And it's been a transition process for him, and it's been a transition process sure. for me, and also for the other members of the leadership team, how to properly um, share our voice in a way that it can be heard and understood and effective decisions um, are being made. At the end of the day, though, uh, and this goes back to sort of my military mind, when the boss says, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do, and you shut your mouth and you don't argue with it. And I think right. we need to adhere to that as well. So while I say we invite friction, um, you know, when it's time to make the decision and carry it out, um, that's exactly what we do. And that's what we need to do. And we do well. Yeah. And there's, and there's healthy friction and then there's, can be destructive friction mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and relationships and, and all of that. So you talked yeah. about charting, charting the course. What, what is the core? What, are, what are the, the next milestones for this firm that, that, that you're the, as a leadership group and, and as you look for, as you look out, that you're excited about or you're working on or thinking, even just thinking about considering? You know, every, every once in a while, I, um, I just have this realization and it hits me that I, I feel exactly like those people who are experiencing some sort of rapid rise to success uh, feel. Um, I, I look back even four or five years ago and I'm just amazed at the amount of progress we've made. A That's national. Great a national reputation in, in criminal defense, a number of high profile trial victories, media requests happening all the time. Um, and, and in my day-to-day -day life, I see these things as normal because they, they're now happening constantly. Mm -hmm. But if I five years ago ever would have thought that this was gonna be the practice right now, I, I would have been just, just shocked. And not from just my standpoint and, and my, my uh, trial victories, but also, the fact that we've grown the firm so so substantially so quickly and have a collection of very talented people that have chosen this firm to come and work to sort of stake their claim um it, it's amazing so i'm mindful of that when speaking about the course we're charting because um i i don't know that i i'm capable of really perceiving exactly where chapman log okay. will be in the next 10 years um because it's been such a wild and amazing ride so far and then I'm willing to take it wherever it needs to go. But if I had to say right now, um, I, I think that, you know, we, we will have completed a transition 
with me being capable of running the day-to-day of the firm. And, and that's huge. Yep. In, in time. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I originally thought that it was something that could be accomplished uh, much quicker. But, but now that I'm getting involved in the day-to-day and understanding the complexity of running a large operation like this, I think patience is key in order to mm-hmm. make sure that, that it, it, it works out really well. And so I'm happy to, to spend a significant amount of time uh, learning what I need to learn um, to, to move an organization this size forward. Uh, we're, we're not the law firm of four attorneys that we once were, and even managing that is a very difficult job. Uh, so I see that. I also see us expanding into a number of significant markets, um, not just from the white collar defense side, but also from the compliance side. Um, I think, you know, potentially offices in New York establishing our LA office will be key. And then, and then, you know, I think probably Chicago and maybe somewhere in Texas would likely be necessary in order to really capture the economies of scale needed for this national advertisement um, that, that is necessary to stay on top. Um, but then, you know, it's not all about growth. And I think internal focus sure. needs to be a priority for us as well. Um, I think making sure that we consolidate on, on our objective, which is a military term, meaning that once you've you've won the battle, you need to make sure that you seize the objective and can secure it to later attack, right? I think we need to consolidate on the objective of our recent successes and look inward and make sure that we're servicing our clients to the best of our ability, not just with an eye towards growth, but also with making sure that we're still providing the same quality of service yep. that we always have. Make sure you're doing that good job before you go on to the next thing. Exactly. Do you, do you find as a firm though, when you talked about you look back, you reflect a little on a lot of that, that was both growth and, and recognition and all that. Have you had, have you celebrated that at all? I mean, do you at least take a moment to celebrate some of those key things? Yeah, absolutely. The celebrations okay. are short. Um, yeah, because- yeah, yeah because you know, there's a lot of work to there's, be done. There's something to be done, no, I know. But, but you know, I would say right now, especially over the last six months, we have engaged in a campaign to uh, look internally into our cases, um, into our policies and procedures, into how we manage our, our employees and how we deal with our clients to make sure that we're, we're able to keep the same eyes on our cases from a leadership standpoint. Um, that we always have been able to when we were smaller. You know, um, this is the, the difficult part of a transition from a law firm from um, being a size where the owner can see into every case and how every, every case, attorney yeah. is handling everything um, to being now where we need to find some mechanism in place to make sure that people are doing things the right way. Even <laughs> though we have talented, trustworthy people and we've made great hiring decisions, we still have to make sure that we manage them appropriately and that, that, that uh, they continue to grow as successful attorneys, but continue to manage their cases and not get overwhelmed. Because as you know, you know one bad experience with one client these days um, can be a very difficult thing. And we, and sure. we wanna make sure that, that we're, we're, we're doing everything right. So we've put an emphasis on that. I think that we've tabled growth a little bit and put an emphasis on good quality work product. And, um, that's been that's been very rewarding because I think that, you know, as you know, with a business as a business owner, you know, you wake up sometimes with fear that something may have gone wrong that you didn't check into, right? 
And uh, I think that we live with that fear every day, being involved in a business and trusting a lot yep. of high level people. That's, that's one of the 17 wake ups. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. It can be that, it can be, but yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. How, and we like to think in advertising industry because of technology and culture and everything, you know, it, it, and it is, it's, it's, it's legit, very fast changing, fast moving as far as our, our space. Yours, though, is you're serving and working both within law, which is evolving, but the whole world of healthcare that's really going going to go going through and going to go through some significant kind of changes, disruption. How do you and all of your colleagues, how do you keep current on that? Um, very good question. Uh, you know, first things first, the fact that the healthcare industry is so rapidly growing and has been um, means that everybody wants um our market share, right? And there's a lot of competition for it. Um, and, and so I think that the way that we've dealt with that is to focus as opposed mm -hmm. to simply expand. Yeah, right. and, and a lot of firms may say, well, we want a healthcare division and we want a criminal division and we want to do wills and estates and trusts and business litigation and we wanna be Honigman, right? Um, our, our goal is not to be that. Our goal is to hyper-focus, to provide the mm -hmm. best level of service to our clients and occupy an area of law that we know and can become experts in. Um, and so, so we've, we've, we've created the ability to make our focus a bit more myopic in the area of healthcare and then slowly expand to other areas when it's necessary and when we have the talent to do so. Got it. And that's been our solution for staying on top of this very difficult environment. Um, if a large hospital system comes to us and says, we want you to be general counsel for the hospital, mm -hmm. it's likely that we would politely decline something like that because right. that's because not our too broad. Set. Yeah, it's too broad. And, you know, in, in, in you know, reading, um, you know, things by, you know, Larry Page and Tim Cook and, and you know, all of these other titans of business, you, you kind of quickly learn. And I think my father knows this, but I had to learn it later. Um, that the death of a business comes when it overextends into areas that it doesn't know. Um, it's also part of Warren Buffett's trading strategy, right? Uh, and and I think yeah, that there's something that right. we need to, to knowing to your circle of competence is yeah. is and 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 I have heard and seen that through these podcast interviews. So many businesses, as you're 37, that start to get to 60 and 80 and 100, that they have resisted in some cases the pull to overly diversify or get into things that may have been hot at the moment, faddish yep. even, to stay to their knitting, yet still evolving. And and, yeah. and and in many cases with significant growth as well. So no, yeah. I, I I recognize that. And and you know there are a lot of advisors always pushing us to specialize and pick a vertical. We we try to figure out how to package what it is we have of the clients we serve, but we know we're not right for everything or trying to conquer the earth either. Yep. I, I think that's great. Now, so now you got the hard, the, the, you know, the always on nature of the firm and the business and there's family, and then, you know, trying to understand and be current on healthcare. Yeah. What, what do you, how do you keep your balance? What, what else do you like to do outside of work? I mean, I used to see it at the gym, but uh, what, what what do you what are those things you do in to um, not escape, but just kind of get away from it a little bit? Yeah, and you know, I think um, work life balance has always been important to me, and I'm able to achieve it even with 
what seems like a pretty busy schedule and pretty busy client load, you know, with the ability to delegate and have, you know, good staff that Mm -hmm. work with me and make sure things get done. I don't have as many worries as I used to. And that's one benefit of being in this firm environment. Um, But outside of work, I'll tell you, I'm training for Ironman Finland, which is set to go August uh, 14th. If Europe opens back up again, if you can get there. Yes. Yeah. I'm really hoping that it does. Um, and that's, that's been about, you know, 16 hours or so of training Sure. Um, a week to get that off. As we always say, Iron Man's a job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, but, you know, the good thing is, uh, it, I, I'm, you know, I'm already, you know, working out seven, eight hours a week on a normal week, and I'm used to that. And so just beef it up a little bit. And you find that mm-hmm. um, as, you, as you add a few things that are important to you onto your schedule, there's a lot of fluff that just gets lopped off, you know? Yeah, it does uh, make you focus. Yep. I'm sticking, yep. I'm sticking to the sprints. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that sprints and Olympics are uh are fantastic. Fine there. Yeah. I just I said to myself that that one day before I hit 40, I'm gonna finish a, a full Ironman. I, gotcha. I had actually attempted one. And um this year seemed to be the year to do it. Um COVID mm-hmm. had us all cooped up and crazy ideas get flowing when you're you're cooped up. And, and one day I said, well, let's, let's take the dive. So I'm about um, maybe five months into training. Um, I also have three kids um, and I've got shared custody of them. So I get them for, uh, for a, a fair bit of time. And, right. and that, that creates a bit of a, a single dad sort of environment. But the beauty is that over the last, I would say year and a half of that, uh, I've learned how to, to focus on them and be present with them when they're with me and then really hustle on the work side when they're not to, to make sure that I'm prepared to, to do you have siblings as well? I do. Yeah. I have a, a, uh, a sister. Any, in, any in the practice or connected to the law firm at all or. Nope. Um, oh. my sister runs an urgent care down in Florida. And then, right. um, my other two siblings are, uh, from my mom and my, my stepfather and one is gotcha. a in Oklahoma and the other one, um, followed his dad's footsteps and mine and decided to go into the Marine Corps and he's still there Okay. in California. Yeah. Good. Quite, 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 quite a family. Uh, is there, I've been, you know, I guess you kind of answered it. You, you don't, the time between work and, and, and try training, you're not really picking up any other new skills or capabilities. So I, I will, I will, I will skip that. Uh, you know, as you watch kind of, um, I would think some of the pride that your father has as you work together and, and grow together and, and learn from each other. You think about that, you know, both of you, they have that, that person that gave you that piece of advice at that really key time. So for people out there who are early in pursuing law or a different business or considering going into the military, like what's, what's a good piece of advice you're given to kind of the next gen, if you will. Yeah, that's a, that's the, I think the ultimate question, right? Um, so I've, I've, I've got a lot of mentors uh, throughout my life, sure. people that I've, I've been able to come across that have taught me things. And, and it's not just particularly one person like my father or a commanding right. officer. It's... Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I think that the greatest mentor of all um, has, has been probably from the grave. I, I'm a big follower of Stoicism. Um, okay. Marcus Aurelius and, and mm-hmm. his, his writings. Uh, have been a book that I I give away liberally and literally keep in my um, my bag uh, every day. I could pop it open and and, uh, and and take a look at it at any moment. 
Um, going back to, to many of those words have really helped me how to uh, learn how to, you know, kind of determine the signal from the noise, figure out what's mm -hmm. important, focus. Um, and so I guess my best piece of advice might be the piece of advice that keeps on giving. Um, I would suggest that folks um, with, with too much going on, with, you know, all of this crazy busy life, uh, possibly use some of those techniques to learn how to yeah. focus a bit more on what's important, how to control your mind and focus on the next problem. And, you know, uh, some people have said, you know, Ron, in these hectic situations, how can you be so calm preparing for trial, walking into a courtroom, um, you know, whatever it might be. And, and I think that, you know, over the years I've learned that, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, last year, I decided that I was gonna get certified in skydiving and I, and I haven't completed the certification process yet. But, but I've got, I've gotten five jumps under my belt. Um, all of them were tandem, but just to become a little bit more comfortable in the air. I don't know why I want to do such a thing, but it, it actually people listening to this are going. This guy just keeps trying to find ways to kind of kill himself. But, but okay, <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. Um, so so interestingly, I did the research on that, and, and there's only one skydiving accident per a hundred thousand. So right, odds it's, are pretty exactly. Good. It's yeah. the understanding yeah. of statistics and odds and things. Right. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Base jumping may be a little different, um, but you know Will Smith actually does this piece on skydiving, which was fantastic. But I'll just kind of explain it as if, as if it's me. You're you're jumping into the airplane, or maybe you're getting the flight suit on, and you're getting instructed, and you're super nervous because you don't sure. know what's going to be out there. You don't know what's going to happen when the door opens. Um, you jump in the plane, and your nerves just kind of ratchet up, and you don't know how you're going to get through the next 15 minutes as you're climbing yeah. to altitude. Then the door opens and it blasts you with this wind and you're like, holy crap, this is actually real and you get more nervous. And then as you're kind of waddling with your instructor out <laughs> the door and your leg legs dangle over the edge and you look down below, all of that just gets wiped away. Okay. And, 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 then, and then eventually you lean forward and you take the plunge. And I, I would say the last second of fear is right when you're approaching that door and the rest is go time. And, and I think that's the thing with a lot of people in taking on new opportunities and new experiences and in, in learning how to grow um, in facing their fears. Um, you know, usually the, the times when we're the most afraid are the times before we actually start to engage in the action that we're the most scared of, uh, whether that's going in front of people and speaking, jumping on a podcast, getting into a courtroom and arguing in front of a jury, um, you know, having a contentious debate. Um, if we can just kind of push that fear aside and realize that we can focus on some particular actions to get us to success. I think we can find that we can break a lot of barriers that we might have been afraid of. And you know, that also applies to things like contentious conversations or delivering difficult news to people. We have a lot of internal fear and anxiety over those things as well. And I think just getting it out and being blunt, giving the advice to the client. Yeah, we build them up in our head. They tend to almost always be worse than the actual yeah. event. But yep. would you say a common theme through a lot of those examples you just gave though is the preparation piece yes because I mean, if you if you were going into trial and yeah. you weren't prepared and in front of judge jury whatever that's time to be pretty darn nervous right you you have you just, wink that's not winging at time yeah you've just captured the essence of it my fear now comes from the fear that i haven't done what i needed to do on the preparation um, to get to yeah. success yeah and so that fear can easily be translated into action. It's not a general fear of the unknown that. It's, right. it, it can be solved by something. And that something is, 
making sure that I prepare. And so then when I put that good energy into getting what I need to get done, as opposed to staring at my papers, freaking out, then I can control that and I can step into court uh, comfortable. And I will tell you each time I step uh, in front of um, a judge or a jury on behalf of any single client, I do now know that I've done and my team's done everything they need to do to deliver the best message and, for that. And, and the, the result calm comes from, The calm comes from that, plus some experience, but yeah. I, I, I really respect that. I mean, that's probably my number one thing of teaching received and trying to impart on junior people as they come through this advertising world yeah. is, is, you know, or biggest pet peeve, you know, if somebody's not prepared yeah. because, and, and when they are, so many things go well as, as a result. Yeah. Uh, what, what I, I've asked everybody this, so I have to do it kind of wrapping up these podcasts, yeah. which is the, what to you is the most fulfilling thing for you about what is now a generational business. Um, I think, I think the most fulfilling thing for me right now is I can look out into the future at the history of the firm, um, personally where I want to be. And, um, you know, we have the ability, we have, uh, the talented staff, um, and we've built up the reputation to do, uh, exactly what we want to do. Um, and, and, and that's great. I, I, a lot of people may not be able to say that and may not have the privilege to be able to say that. And I'm very blessed that I'm sitting in a position where we can chart our own course for the future. Um, but that takes an epic responsibility to make sure that that course that we're charting is the right course for the firm uh, and leads to success for the staff and continues to keep people employed. It's a huge responsibility, but you know, I'm also very happy that, that uh, you know, the, the book is still being written. There's a lot yeah. of blank pages and, right. and I look forward nice. to filling each and every one of those and then having somebody take over as the author in the future, whoever that. Right. Be. Right. Well, Ron Chapman, the second of Chapman Law Group, I, I, I think we've gone from flying to free falling in one short session visually, yeah. which is pretty, pretty metaphorically neat. I, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, I, I think you, your firm represent this idea of, of, generation excellence and i wish you all the best in the future oh thank you so much Shane. thank you for having me thank you for listening special thanks to sam daly eric head and joel bienenfeld at smz for helping make generation excellence well excellent until next time i'm jamie michelson <laughs>